Hello and welcome to the 905er podcast and this Thursday's 905 roundup. Um, and today we have a another brace of, of stories from from the region, uh, from the region and from further afield. In fact, um, that we think are, are worth discussing. Um, and we're going to start off with a with a story about um, MPPs. Um, well, kind of having more than one job, I guess, but but with, particularly with regard to uh, the housing crisis and the implications there. So, uh, Joel, you you were uh, looking at the story, and well, we we have we have opinions, possibly different ones, and we'll investigate what those are. Yeah, well, it's uh, MPs. Well, if you uh, read other online uh, news sources uh, besides the the nine hundred five er, good for you. Uh, read often, read a lot, get informed. Uh, but on the uh, the website, uh, readpassage.com, uh, David Mastracci uh, has done a lot of digging and a lot of homework on our federal uh, representatives, MPs, and discovered just how many of them are landlords or have invested in real estate in um, quite a few uh, quite a number of them are actually invested in uh uh, in in uh, in the in the field of uh, of well real estate, uh, out of the 336 MPs across the country, his works found that 128 uh, have met the qualifications of being involved with it. That's 38 percent. So you know, almost over a third of our elected representatives in Ottawa have uh, a vested interest in the real estate business. Um, that could be good or bad. We're going to discuss that. But the reason why it kind of brought up the, uh, and I should also point out, this is across all party lines. Um, the conservatives have the most in their uh, their caucus with 46% uh, having a, a, an interest in the real estate. The liberals are a close second with 39%, uh, Block 19, NDP 16, and the Green Party uh, 50%, but that's only because they only have two members and, well, only one of them has real estate property. But here in Ontario, out of the 120 MPs for Ontario, his calculations show that 49 or 41% uh, are invested in real estate in one form or another. So that being said, why do we want to bring it up? Well, obviously, uh, development and uh, speculation are a big topic that we have here in the podcast. It's definitely one of the contributing factors to the rising uh, housing housing prices, not just across the country, but definitely here in the 905 uh, that we've seen, and the shortage of rental housing. Now, the reason why this caught my eye is because a certain conservative then- uh, contender for the, their leadership now the leader of the opposition Pierre Poiliev is a landlord he's on the list he's one of the members who owns real estate properties uh here in uh, or not here in, I should say in the country uh he uh, he has a joint ownership in Liberty West Properties Incorporated a private real estate investment company in Calgary uh, he's uh, the sole ownership of a rental property located on Lake Ridge Drive in Ottawa. And that's, uh, I believe, with his wife, uh, who's uh, uh, also invested in that. And he has rental income from that property uh, that he uh, shares with his wife. As I'm sure uh, anyone listening to this podcast uh, who pays attention to politics, uh, a big staple of, of Pierre's 
campaign for the top job in the party was, you know, saying he's going to take out the gatekeepers. He's, he's going to take care of gatekeepers. And part of the gatekeepers were the people holding back uh, rental prices, which he, he never really clarified who those gatekeepers are. But um, is I, I would say, isn't he now one of those gatekeepers if he is a landlord uh, making the, you know, charging rent to people by, by definition, isn't that a gatekeeper? Um. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I'm just looking at an article here from the Toronto Sun uh, where he, uh, during his campaign, he was taking aim at, uh, it was taking aim at the city of Toronto. Uh, I, I mean, reading between the lines here, he's implying that, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the dead hand of government that is the problem. And if you, you know, if, if, if Toronto doesn't, um, get building them will take away some of their federal funds uh so you know a good way to 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 um, get something done is always to punish people and take away money that always works um just you know through experience but um yeah i mean the, i mean the, the tone of some of the well the articles about this has kind of been you know oh outrage outrage uh mpps own property and again this is you know this is my current the current bee i have in my bonnet is is bizarrely jumping to the defense of of mpps and and councillors about things which is not my usual stance but you know i i am very cautious about the tendency to see money and then immediately shout corruption um mps mpps councillors mayors they're allowed to have other financial interests they're allowed to own property they're allowed to be part of property businesses they're allowed to have second jobs they're allowed to do all these things now we can argue that those things should change um and, and there's definitely a, a case you know certainly at municipal level if you if you own property in the municipality where you're a councillor you will find yourself from time to time having to recuse yourself from votes because of conflicts of interest. Um, that doesn't really happy, happen at the other levels in as overt a way. Um, so a landlord um, is quite likely to find themselves voting on a on law, on legislation, or on a on a committee making decisions about property issues. Um, uh, and you know they're not going to have to recuse themselves. Um, well, here's the thing: at the federal level, uh, you're not like there's no property committee uh, at the federal level. But there, as you said, there is talk of you know the uh, gas tax or GST uh, tax credit uh, or tax, not tax credit, sorry, the GST uh, funds to go to cities for you know infrastructure renewal and, and and that kind of stuff and yeah pierre has gone on the record saying he's going to withhold that if cities don't meet certain arbitrary uh deadlines or, or arbitrary benchmarks to to build housing which sounds good maybe I'd, I'd like i don't know like again there's, there's no details here so i can't i can't i can't dive into it and be like no okay, i think i, like I think polyev's suggestion is fucking stupid actually uh, i think okay. the suggestion of, of 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 
going to cities which are god knows every city in ontario is trying to get stuff built they are trying to get stuff built why is stuff not being built very much of the time because developers sit on lots for decades on end it's not it's not in the interest of a developer to build everything so quickly that house prices plummet why the hell would they want to do that no they want to build at a rate to maximize profit that's entirely legitimate that's entirely fair it's entirely in their interest i'm not saying they're doing anything again i'm not saying they're doing anything illegal i'm not but i'm also saying that it's not the municipalities who hold up development they they may uh, you know they can delay things in ontario for a maximum of i can't even remember now 120 days or something and then things get peeled to, to the olt well now, hang on a minute. Doesn't everything get appealed to the OLT? Well, my, yes, it does. And that takes years and years and years to work out. Why does everything get appealed to the OLT? Because cities have no power. So, you know, this idea that it's the dead hand of Toronto City Council that, that is blocking development is such a pile of utter horseshit. Um, and, and, you know, absolutely fitting of the most horseshit leader of a political party we've ever had in this in this country. So I'm going to rant about that, and I'm going to say that he's an idiot. I don't particularly care about his him owning a house. I don't think that's actually really here or there. Um, you know, uh, should, should, you know, does the business interests of politicians sometimes cause conflicts? Absolutely. Has he declared his the fact that he owns property in in the register of members' interest? Yes, he has. Is it all publicly available for anybody to look at? Yes, it is. I don't see any any problem at that point. Um, uh, I just see problems with his policies, which are utter garbage. Um, but that's you know that's to be expected. Um, I, I just want to point out uh, a bit of a sidebar here. You had mentioned uh, the the holdup of developing uh, in cities that developers sit on vacant land uh and wait until the most opportune time to build on it um it should also be pointed out that uh justin trudeau uh is on the list of landlords uh he uh, according to uh, david he is controlling interests of 7664699 canada incorporated located in montreal quebec that holds a vacant land <laughs> well then uh, then, and, then and, i think I'm, you're I'm, entirely I'm, then saying I think... Of, I'm saying this out of, out of pure non-partisan interest i don't want to be accused of oh we're taking one side or the other no, I, I mean think, uh, I, I, I think that's completely fair i mean it's completely fair to say that someone is a hypocrite um because they're they're saying one thing and doing another completely justified should yeah, yeah if you're going to own property um yeah if you're going to own property that that is going to be developed at some point for residential uh, reasons at least have the decency not to you know have it sitting there vacant that 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 is valid um there are all kinds of reasons it's, but it's not the general principle of, of property ownership you know unless we are going to become a communist state and you know right. if you want to vote for that and knock yourself out but unless we are actually going to say you can't own anything you can't own property you can't make money um or as an mp you can only earn what the taxpayer gives you um, which again is a justifiable point. The, the idea that, that MPs sh should be able to have second incomes or investments or whatever—that's an argument that could be had. Well, you and I disagree on that uh, on that point. I—I I mean, I—I I have an issue kind of with MPs holding second sources of income in general. I mean, like, because here's what the issue is: is that not only do MPs own interest in the real estate uh, industry the, the list is also uh 
There's also another list for MPPs. So are in Ontario, so people who are directly involved with passing legislation surrounding the governance of that industry, I find is a huge conflict of interest because like if you own a property and you are able to pass legislation that makes that property more valuable, you're probably going to pass it, especially if you know like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pass this and fine, I'm, I'm out next term. I'm out next term, I'll sell that off and I'm retiring to Muskoka. Uh, or, or to, to French river or wherever I'm, I'm out of here. I find this a huge conflict of interest. I I know that this was all disclosed to the public. I think I'd be more comfortable at the bare minimum. All this is put into some kind of blind trust, uh, at the bare minimum for them to, to hold on to. And if you're prime minister, maybe, I mean, we we remember with Paul Martin, that's what Paul Martin did. I mean, but, but then, you know, he, he, he owned one of the biggest businesses in the, in the country It was different from, you know, he, he wasn't the owner of a bookstore in, in to pick a random, (laughs) uh, that was, uh, no, no, I I hear what you're saying. And and it's like, you know, if you think that uh, many people who go into politics uh, are, are small business owners or, or, um, uh, uh, I mean, so take my own example um i founded a business i still own that business um i ran for council if i'd won you know putting that into a blind trust it's not really realistic um and it's like if you're saying that well you know you now can't have any involvement in that but also you might lose your job in four years well no Um, i'm not i'm not saying that i'm saying you like your business you had no legislative power over your business the nature of your business no, I mean, I, like, I guess, it, I guess, but question. I mean, I could, I could be, I mean, there's, but I'm a business in the city. The city could be putting money into certain types of area. You know, there's I, always I, okay. potential for conflicts are always there, you know? Well, but that's the thing is, you know, so are we comfortable with, I guess the number, are we comfortable? I guess it comes down to is, you know, Pierre, of going across the country saying, oh, I'm going to take out the gatekeepers to affordable housing. Um, when he himself is one of the gatekeepers, is what, like really what this comes down to, the BMI bonnet on this, is that he he doesn't have to charge rent at a given, t- you know, a, a given uh, whatever rate he charges rent. He can charge whatever, kind of essentially whatever he wants. Um, now, the the I just I find I I have an I do have an issue with him like making rather than say okay let's look at how do we make it affordable like how do we make mortgages more more affordable how do we bring down the cost of building uh, so that housing prices are are more in line with or or maybe raise middle raise uh, living uh, living wages in Canada so that people are making more that the cost of those homes aren't so unattainable and rent isn't unattainable that's harder to solve but it's easy to go and rail against the cities for how dare cities have zoning codes that are oh uh, are, are not are not conducive to rental properties no, i mean and, he's and talking out of his absolute jack he's yeah. talking out of his ass because he doesn't know what he's talking about and it, and it's like you know if you, you are actually involved even as cursorily cursorily cur- cursorily as we are uh, uh, uh on the outskirts of kind of local the de- local development story I mean, what you see is that yeah, sure. Cities are trying to play a role because actually that is supposed to be what they do. That is mm-hmm. their job, after all. But you know that is not, not, not 
what is delaying development in in this country um they couldn't if they tried uh you know the, the rate of development is very much in ultimately in the hands of the, of the developers and what they bring forward. The amount that goes to the OLT is very much in the hands of the province and the province has, de has basically decreed over the last four to right. 10 years um, that everything pretty much of any significance will end up going to the OLT, which takes years. Um, you know, unless, unless the city simply says yes to everything, um, which, which, you know, they well, shouldn't have to unless we're, we're going to abolish I, the whole thing but, you know it's, it's complex it just hates government you know yeah this is his whole reason to if there's a problem the problem will be government therefore let's get rid of government let's punish government let's get let's hurt government let's take money away from government that's always going to be his answer for everything because that's the kind of mind he has as a dogmatic zealot for the right, right. um i mean i guess we should just thank our lucky staffs he's not blaming immigrants or I don't know what else bullshit that those guys talk about these days. Um, you know, at least he's not being racist about it, but I dare say he will come get to that point at some point. You know, we'll get there. I guess, I, I guess, I don't know. I, I here, Here's the thing. In Ontario, real estate and development is the number one industry in this province. Um, surprise if you didn't know that already. Um, it's, it's a bigger industry. Um, than mo most other industries in in the country uh, because of the size in the the size of Ontario, and so I find that it's an industry of that size. May maybe it's a good thing that we have people who are vested in it uh, in this way. Perhaps I'm not I'm not sold that way. Uh, I, I I I treat this with a lot of skepticism and a very cautious look at it because I just I, I can see so many avenues for abuse of power and. A chance to uh, line 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 one's own pockets at the expense of Ontario families. You know, if if uh, if a rental, if you own, if you're investing in real estate, and you have the chance to find a way to un, uh, uh, remove rent protections or or rent, or rent regulations, that's a that's a powerful incentive. I mean, I mean any. Any outside interest that any MP or MPP or councillor or mayor has, has a potential conflict of interest. So we either accept that and ask them to be as open as possible about it, um, or we say you can't do that. I mean, and either is, an, is, is a valid uh, route to take. I don't think we can, we can single out property ownership and say, okay, only this one is sufficiently problematic that we're not going to let you do it. You can, you can own a strip club in Aldershot, but you can't own a, a, a you know, a high rise in, in downtown. Um, you know, we, we have to apply the same rule to everything. Um, I don't think it's actually, God, I remember politicians who I had no time for saying exactly this argument 30 years ago. I don't think it's ultimately in our interest to have politicians who are so cut off from everything that they have no interests other than their day job. Um, you know, and also if you do say that, then you're going to lose a bunch of talented people who could actually be valuable uh, politicians. Um, because you're saying, okay, you can only do this if you're so committed to politics that you have no other avenues of, of income. Um, so, 
but I mean, I freely admit that that's that's an argument that can be had. I mean, it's it's just um, well, I I, I it's it's a valid, especially Ontario, because despite still the widespread belief, uh, Ontario MPPs, not a single one, have a pension. Mike Harris did away with pensions back in the nineties. Nobody, Doug Ford, Stephen Del Duca, uh, Andrew Horvath, uh, whoever they pick as their successors, none of them have a pension from the Ontario Legislative Assembly. Does not exist. So you made a point just before we hit record that these individuals might say, well, yeah, that's my retirement. I'll come in and I will be an MPP for um, so many, you know, I'll, I'll serve my term until I get kicked out or I decide to retire. In which case, yeah, you're right. They, how do you do that? Now, the, the general idea has always been, no, you go in, you serve your time in office and either you're kicked out by the people or you gracefully say, I've done my dirt. I've done my, my work. I'm retiring. I'm leaving for greener pastures. And you go get a cushy job as a GR consultant <laughs> on base trader. You, know, you, you go find a job and you go back. The, the idea has always been a politician is a temporary call to office. It's not a career. It's never supposed to be a career. I understand that's not necessarily how it works in this stage. And there are a lot of people, Lord knows you and I have met a few of them who make a lovely career out of just showing up every four years and getting an X next to their name and they get another job for four years. Some of them don't even have to go knock on doors or, or make speeches. They just know they're going to get that X next to their name. Um, I mean, that, that, that's a conversation for another time. I just, I, I treat this with a, something that it, it, it tickles the back of my head in not a good way. And it makes me kind of stop and pause and just really question. Uh, it makes me double guess whenever I hear somebody now talking about development concerns, uh, rental, rental uh, pricing and whatnot, I have concerns about uh, what, what exactly are their motivations now? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's it's the same, you know. It's very similar to the to the debate we've had about you know uh, abolishing um, corporate donations, and that you can you can abolish corporate donations, and they did, but corporate donations are still going on, just the same as they ever did. They just now they're obscure, and you could say you can't do this. Um, and certainly, you know, if I was an MPP, um, and it's like okay, I've got a job for four to eight years, maybe if I'm lucky, if all goes according to plan, you know, I really can't count any further than that. Uh, let's hope I get reelected and I get eight years out of this. Um, okay, I'm getting I'm getting decent decent income here. It's, what is 120 thousand a year and as a, as a backbencher, that that's not bad. Um, how what I'm going to do to sort of make this, you know, <laughs> what am I going to do to make this money last as long as possible? Well, hell, why don't I buy a, a second property? Um, that's about the best investment I can possibly make. Uh, and that's a very reasonable thing for anybody to do with their money and their salary. Um, now, we can say, well, okay, no, you can't do that because that's a potential conflict of interest. We're going to ban you from doing that. Well, um, what about if my wife buys a house um is that still a problem well yes it is because you know let's face it i mean i actually in that, in that article the article you're referring to included people's spouses yes. and it's like well hell yes. it's not the spouse's damn fault that their the husband or wife is is, is a politician are you seriously going to suggest that now we can take their right to own property away um i mean you know where does where does it end 
because there's always a way around this stuff. It's like, okay, well, let's get, let's get, let's get the kids to buy a property. Let's get granddad to buy a property. Um, people, you know, again, if we, money is part, we do live in a capital, better or worse, and you may regret it. You may think it's the best thing since sliced bread. We live in a capitalist society. Um, and, and MPPs and MPs have as much right to that capital as anybody else. Uh, and we, we can't, you know, as we think about what we're going to do with our money and which which SUV we're going to buy and 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 how much our, the price of our house has gone up in in this part of the world since we bought it ten years ago, uh, and we're going to be all smug and talk about that when we have barbecues with our friends and like oh you won't believe how much my house has gone up and then we're going to turn around and say to MPs and MPPs oh sorry you guys you guys aren't allowed to do that oh no no no, no only us you know and, and it's like how much I mean. The gravy train for MPPs is pretty shitty a lot of the time. It's like, sure, the, the salary is okay. And maybe they get an excellent job when they come out. Some of them do, some of them don't. There are people who have been there for four or eight years or, or longer who are not particularly well off um, because they're not the sort who looked out for, for jobs on Bay Street or, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's... it's. I think it's... I think we... I'll leave it at this. Um we, we, we there needs to be better scrutiny of politicians though on where their interests lie then because uh, we do deserve to know if they're going to be campaigning about again uh, on loosening development restrictions or um, limiting the ability for different levels of government to uh, make decisions on this uh, we des- we deserve to know fully what exactly their motivations are uh, on the on this uh, because they might be thinking of it from their point of view, but you know, that family of four looking for a place to live, uh, that those rental accommodations can, can become price out of their, of their budget real fast, uh, if we're not careful. So that's, that's kind of where my, my head is coming from on this one. Um, I'm going to say, let's take a break there and we'll be back for more of the nano fiber right after this. And we are back, uh, and this time going away from Ottawa down to Toronto. <laughs> We're going to move down through all, all three levels of uh, of government uh, on this one, folks. Uh, but something that we we taught we had on uh, uh, earlier in the year, uh, Minister Karina Gould, uh, who who Roll and I both know, um, to talk about the the federal government at that time, the federal government's petition to the Ontario government to take on funding for the $10 a day childcare uh, system that they were trying to get all the provinces sign up for. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you who are listening, who are parents to the uh, to daycare and preschool age children are wondering, where's my $10 a day bill? Um, that might be a little while. Uh, the, it looks like the Ontario government looking to change some of the parameters of that agreement uh, to loosen some of the guidelines. I'm not going to say the restrictions. I think that's a bit too strong of a word, but the, the, the guidelines surrounding for the for-profit side of the equation, um, the, the Ontario government is looking to change some of those guidelines, which is raising a red flag with Minister Gould, who uh, in the Toronto Star uh, this past Friday has just gone, kind of gone on the record as saying she's, she's paying attention to this uh, and she's, uh, she's got a concerns. And a lot of us, 
well, not so much maybe my kids are aged out, but there are a lot of parents of that age of child children who are curious, who are wondering what's the holdup and why, why are we messing around with this? The agreement was in place. Why are we still not uh, getting this done? Yeah. Uh, it, it, and if my understanding is right um, from the half of the article. So, so folks, if you're thinking about donating to the, the 905 and becoming a Patreon, we could really do with a subscription to the, to the, to, <laughs> to the star because I've only got the top half of the article here. <laughs> So like we we you know we really are running this on thing on a shoestring sometimes. <laughs> uh, now I could get logged into press reader and try and find the article, but that takes a while. Um, but yeah, there's your motivation, everybody. If you'd like to become a Patreon donor, you'd really be doing us a solid. But my understanding is from the half of the article that I can read is that they've kind of taken there there was a stipulation saying that the you know, in return for this 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 federal funding, we have to kind of put restrictions on on the childcare providers to not make excessive profit. Um, the reason being, I would think, or my my understanding would be that you know, if you're putting in a big chunk of money from the government here, you can't have the the business owners who run the childcares simply increasing their fees by amount equal to the amount that's just been put in by the federal government. Now, we know that the market will support in its own way the current fees, however outrageous they may seem to parents. Um, so for, from the point of view of a business owner, it's like, well, we're fine with things how they are, actually. Uh, if you're going to give us a big check, we know that the parents will still pay this. So that's why you have to have a kind of corresponding uh, hand on the scales, so to speak, to say, okay, yeah, we're giving you this money, but you can't just jack your prices up to offset that. Um, so that seems to be what we're talking about. What have the provincial government done? Because the provincial government obviously doesn't like controls being put on businesses. Um, it's kind of got rid of that restriction of of uh, saying, you know, you can't make excessive profits because we're giving you this financial uh, support. Um, and that makes sense to me. I mean, and as you know, as an argument. I mean, I, I was talking again before we came on. It was a similar process happened in in Scotland, but a long time ago, before I emigrated, where where the uh, government was was attempting to introduce um, free um, senior care, um, so uh, old age, uh, you know, old age retirement homes this kind of thing, you know for for uh, people who needed it um through a big chunk of money um that was supposed to be equal to what senior care cost at the private owners of those businesses and what happened well they simply jacked the price up by the same amount so i mean you, that you know that is exactly what you need to do um uh, you can't just write people a blank check and say okay we've paid for it because all you've done is 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 mess up the the finances mess up the market so to speak right. by 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 doing that here's this is the, the kind of where I, i'm i'm puzzled about the whole structure of this of this deal i'll be honest because right now in the article trust article they say ontario's for-profit daycares account for roughly 30 percent of all licensed spaces uh for children under six like a third of them are for profit now here's i i don't see how you're going to get any like you shouldn't be getting any public money without some kind of strings attached like you just 
if you're going to get like money to going into your operating costs, whether that's to pay your staff or to whatnot, like that's just not the way it's going to go. Um, now, I mean, like the province could have done a number of things. It could have just hit, start handing out vouchers to parents and say, you shop around to your favorite daycare center and we'll cut you a check for the, for the difference. That's not how they go. Um, I, I I find that I find this government. I, I bang my head against the wall with this government because it they kind of take what is obviously the the simplest solution and they make it re- really complicated. And that is treat daycares and preschools as another level of education. I mean, Mr. Lecce is the Minister of Education. He is in charge of this file. Just treat it like another aspect of education really like the not-for-profit the not-for-profits can either come be folded into like an ministry run system with standards that not just safety and uh and, and licensing workers who work there but also uh make sure curriculum there is in line with you know play-based activities and and and, and setting kids up for the to go on to uh, actual elementary school in the province. That's ideally what I think would work best is if the federal, sorry, the provincial government just said, no, we'll, we'll do that. That's what we're, if you're now thinking of it like a, a preschool, school, elementary school, high school, college slash university uh, uh, down the road. Instead, what we're doing is if they're trying to figure out, they're more worried about like, well, how, how do people make a buck? And that's the they're private daycares. That's it. We have private schools in this province. Um, treat them as private daycares. If you have, you know, if you want to pay, send your kid to that that particular daycare center, um, that's where they go. I, and if we don't have enough spaces, then yeah, we build more spaces. You're getting money from the federal federal government. Go ahead and start building more daycare centers and more daycare spaces around the province, uh, and. They get the they get part of the new as part of the provincial infrastructure building and whatnot. They get they get the the money, so that your kids go there and they you pay ten dollars a day. That's your tuition to go to preschool. Um, that's that's uh, that's kind of how I would set up. I mean, if I was if you elected me to be the minister of education, that's what I how I set it up. And the for profit, you still get to be for profit. Um, but people don't get the $10 a day daycare when they go to you. That, you that's for the rich people. The, the, the people who, the, the, the Stephen Lecce's of the world who can afford to go to private, <laughs> private schools in Ontario, they send their kids to private preschool. That's, that's how it would be set up. Um, I don't know. Does, if, I mean, that's, that's how that's that's how my brain is working on this file. I'll be honest. I, I'm sure there's probably some complicated and and neat and convoluted reason that I am wrong and I am missing a, uh, a a crucial factor here. But to me, that's that's what I would do. Um, I think the crucial the crucial factor is that 50 years ago, that's exactly how people viewed the world. It's like the government steps in and does it. And yeah. did it with healthcare, did it with education, did it with 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 you know other things, and for whatever reason we have now convinced ourselves that that isn't the way to go. Um, 
and so we're, we try we're, what what is happening here is it's a kind of attempt at a, at a blended approach um, of it's not gonna work. Pu- public funding and and private. Uh, I think there are yeah I mean let's put it this way I think there are there, there are serious questions to be answered about whether whether it can work. Um, I guess that our healthcare system in many ways is is a blend of private and public in mm-hmm. that. You know, most of the people that will go and get service from are actually private companies f- for profit. Um, uh, you know, if we're going to just sort of um, take childcare into public ownership, then then you're going to have to buy the property as well as you know just pay the fees. Um, there's a whole lot of additional stuff there, but um, and, and what we know of this this government is that's just not the way they think you know uh their their inclination is always going to be to um take any restrictions off private business um and you you can't do that i mean is it, i mean you can't this is an attempt at a blended approach um and therefore you you need to have controls at both ends of the of of the calculation if you like mm-hmm. um you can't say here's some money charge what you like uh but we you know somehow miraculously as if by magic it's going to end up at 10 bucks a day um like no they have to charge whatever it is that ends up at te- uh, uh, costing the end user 10 dollars end of story um but uh yeah so we'll see i, I guess I, I guess i guess it's that's in my mind that's how it like the system is already set we have a publicly funded education system it works um as long as we keep funding it <laughs> i should say um I, I wonder if it comes to i mean i they'll never come on to to for us to ask this question but i'm wondering if like, the fundamental concept isn't I, I, I think we need to rebrand it as preschool. All of it is preschool. And here's why, folks. Um, that if we call it daycare, the, the concept is it's just a place to put your kids while you go off and you make money. While you go off for your job, that's just a place to put your kids. It doesn't have to be good. It just has to be four walls and a roof. If we start relabeling it and rebranding it as a preschool, it's a place that you put, you send your kid and they start learning the fundamentals of life. They start learning the basics, our colors, our shapes, maybe a few numbers, maybe a few letters, the basics that we all take for granted, but the stuff that, you know what, you need to know this stuff so that when you go on to your, your, the, the starting your educational career, you're on the, you're on the right track. You've got it. You've got it. You know how to do that. You know how to socialize with other kids, how to interact with people and how to work out your, your differences. Um, this is where we learn it. We learn it when we're, when we're toddlers, when, when we are helpless and, and prone to temper tantrums. That's how we learn it. Temper tantrums don't solve anything. And I get the sense that this government is stuck on the idea of that they're daycares, that this is just, well, you need a place to put your kids so you can go get a job. And that's partly true, but I do think that the, it needs to be rebranded as a school. It's a place to start the education process so kids can go on to the core fundamentals of their education on a, on a, on a good note, knowing how to absorb that inf- the, the knowledge and the information that they'll be taught in their career and, and build on that. Um, 
just because uh, yeah, uh, if they're just daycare, then screw it. Doug, Stephen, just start cutting people checks. Just start, just start cutting people. You know, just make it a, ta- a tax incentive, and no matter what, go find a daycare, submit your bill at the end of the year, and give you a, a, the adequate uh, tax credit to make it a ten, the equivalent of ten dollars a day. Because uh, otherwise, this is just going to be a convoluted mess of a system that people are not going to sign on to, and people are just not going to be uh, confident in. That's my two cents. As someone who doesn't use it, doesn't have children, <laughs> and has no uh, uh, skin in this game, so to speak, I should probably let you have the final word. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. <laughs> Um, if I uh, just before we, we we sign off for uh, this episode, folks, um, our previous episode uh, we're recording it actually on the eve of when we launched it, and it's kind of uh, it's it's been a big uh, I don't want to say a hit, but it, it's a, one of our more popular episodes. We can say we can see already um, the, the the case of the Oakville uh, teacher at Oakville Trafalgar, who is a, a trans teacher, wore wore the the fake breast prosthesis and, and in the process stirred up a hornet's nest with the freedom convoy and, and alt-right individuals. Um, yeah. Uh, Stephen Lecce, I think has done the right thing. on this. Yeah. Yeah. I'll repeat that. Stephen Lecce has done the right thing on this file. Uh, today he has, he came out uh, and said that he was asking the Ontario college of teachers to review their professional conduct uh, code uh, to see, what should be done in this case uh, and if any changes need to be made to make this uh, uh, clear. And I, I think it's a good, it's the, it's the right step because the, that's something that, you know, we had a discussion, we had a discussion with Karima on the episode. If you didn't listen to it, folks, this is your hint, go download it now, listen to it. You'll learn something. Um, but it's, it, it, this is a, a dress code and a workplace uh, code of conduct system, not a, not a trans rights issue. Right. I, I'm going to stand by that one. Uh, and this, the fact that maybe there isn't a case on this. Yeah, this is about time that we get something like this on the on the file, and we make it a, a clear first for schools across the province to know how how do we address this situation from happening again. Yeah, I think I would second that. I mean, I mean the the you know i think it's worth saying what 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 um uh the minister hasn't done here and that he hasn't waded into the issue per se he hasn't mentioned the individual he hasn't in- mentioned the school hasn't met- he's asked the uh college of uh the ontario college of teachers to to review and consider strengthening professional standards um and I think that that's okay. It's like, yeah, let's have clarification about what what we expect. And, and I, I would much rather, much, much rather have the ministry itself and the minister itself always take the lead on really problematic things like this. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, the the... Trust the boards of trustees, um, the, the professionals at uh, school board level. This is just not, they're not qualified for this stuff. They don't have the media training. They don't, I mean, clearly do not have the media training. Um, the, uh, you know, it's, 
out of their league. We don't want them talking about pride flags. We don't talk, want them talking about trans issues because they're not qualified and they don't know what they're doing. Uh, this is very much a ministry responsibility. And I think, you know, much as the I am no great fan of, of this government. I mean, I don't think there's any great secret there. Um, I think they, you know, what they said was reasonable, measured. It wasn't directed to anybody. It wasn't directed to anything specifically. Um, but it indicated this is the province. It's our call ultimately how this is handled. We would like you to look at this. Uh, and I think that's about all that really needed ever to be said. Yeah, that's and if we did that, we wouldn't be in the mess we are in now. Um, this this looks like it's going to be an ongoing rallying cry for the far right and the alt right and and just those people uh, in this province for years to come now. Um, and I, 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 this is a, a bit of a sidebar, but if you're going to put I was thinking about this this today. If you're going to put you know statements of you know we support trans LGBTQ people, the the, the the diversity statements in your 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 policy statements that's all great and wonderful. But you got to figure out how it works in your agency in your organization. Otherwise, it's just filler. You do you need to figure out well what happens when somebody puts puts a legitimate grievance against. An individual of of, uh, of of a minority how do you approach that uh I, I don't i do think the hdsb really dropped the ball on this um they've they by ducking the by passing the buck they ended up uh, uh making this problem far worse than it needed to be they really should have showed some leadership or gone to get the answer and stood up and said, this is what we're doing and this is what we're standing by and this is how it's going to be. They didn't. And in, in that in that absence, we ended up with the Freedom Convoy truckers planning repeated protests now, it looks like, um, around, uh, you know, around for some fictional grievance against transgender people. Transgender people do not need this. They do not deserve it. They don't, they are, they have not done anything wrong. They are not wrong, but because when the HDSB needed them to stand up and really stand by them and put their their uh, their clout on their on their side and really clarify this, they they didn't. Um, they 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 folded like a wet towel and they hid behind their diversity statement and then said, "All right, the rest of you figure it out for us. We're done." Yeah, and and what you know the way that uh, no, I, I clearly am not on, on on territory that I am particularly familiar or comfortable with myself, either. However, it feels like the most useful thing for the transgender community uh, as a whole would have been to make it clear that this is not a transgender issue. This is a dress code issue. Yes. Um, the the gender is irrelevant to this story, utterly irrelevant. Um, but the the malicious people who wanted to make it about gender and gender identity have done so, um, and that is a shame. But uh, you know, yeah. I mean, and for goodness' sake, HDSB, you know, realize that when you speak to people. Um, you know, I hope, I really honestly hope that whatever we deal with, we, we 
are trying, you know, and I, I used some pretty inflammatory language earlier in this podcast about the leader of the opposite of the federal opposition. Um, and, and I, you know, I will stand by that. <laughs> um, but, but I think that's very different from, um, from, from seeking out stories like this, uh, uh, people who are not in the public eye and trying to uh, whip up hysteria. Our objective is always to do, we're trying to inform, we're trying to ask questions that are actually intelligent questions, you know, and maybe aren't the expected answers sometimes, you know. Um, we're trying to do that, we're trying to be thoughtful um, about everything we handle. Um, other media organizations, and I'm not going to name them because they're very litigious, uh, uh, are not like that. Um, and you know, they should have known that. Um, and, you know, fine, don't talk to us, but be careful who you do talk to. My goodness. No kidding. All right, folks, we're going to leave it at that for tonight's episode. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday with more. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.